This is a Dice Brussels. It's our six month anniversary, if you can have an anniversary in six months. And it's a good point to just think a bit about what we've learned, where we've got to just kind of broader themes that are bigger than uh, what we might be able to cover in one episode. Um, I think let's think a bit about this uh, in terms of the uh, processes the issues uh, and just the other stuff that's around this renegotiation and referendum. For me, uh, the process remains highly problematic. Uh, we came into this uh, after, the refer- after the election back in May, um, which seems like quite a long time ago, uh, in a state of uh, surprise, really. Uh, I don't think the Conservatives were really convinced that they uh, were likely to be forming the next government, let alone one uh, as a single party. Uh, And nor really did anyone else. If you go back to that first episode that I recorded uh, six months ago, uh, I was in a certain state of shock as well. Um, I'm in a bit more state of shock, uh, given how many podcasts I've done, which was slightly more than I thought I would, but uh, that's another matter. Really, that initial shock, that surprise of finding themselves in the position that they did, has left the government in a difficult position. That they are executing uh, a process that they hadn't really thought through in any great detail because I think largely they didn't think that they would have to. Now, for David Cameron, that means uh, that he spent six months trying to work out firstly what he's trying to achieve, secondly, how he's going to try and achieve it, uh, and thirdly, who he's got to achieve it with. Now, in each of those areas, we're still moving very slowly. In terms of the the substance of what might be uh, in this uh, renegotiation, and to be clear, I don't think we're in a renegotiation uh, at this stage. We're in uh, discussions about a renegotiation. Uh, It's perhaps coincidental, it is coincidental, that uh, David Cameron this week is talking about his demands, spelling them out in more detail, the letter that he's due to write to Donald Tusk, uh, the uh, President of the European Council, uh, tomorrow might give us some more information, but frankly, I don't think it will give us all that much more. So the substance remains open, and the the reason for that is very clear, that this isn't just about what can be agreed with European partners, it's also about what can be sold to a public uh, who will be asked to vote in a referendum at some point. Now, uh, because Cameron is clearly concerned about having something that is defensible, uh, something that looks substantial, something that looks material, you know, he'd love to have something that he could just uh, show people, this is what I've achieved. Uh, the casting around to find something like that, that is both uh, uh, meeting those conditions and is also possible uh, and acceptable to uh, European counterparts, is very difficult. And we, we've kind of got these uh, four baskets that we've talked about, Uh, which are more or less defined and uh, they come and they go as we we explore them. But aside from that, there's also an issue where the process by which we're going to do this is is also not clear. That uh, is this just about uh, 
fireside chats with European leaders on bilateral occasions or at European councils? Or is this about uh, sitting down and really pursuing formal treaty reform or some kind of legal document? At times we've moved towards one or other of these kinds of uh, outcomes, uh, but at others uh, we, we drift back again. One of the frustrations, and again one of the reasons for doing this podcast, is that uh, that uh, dilatory approach, vacillatory approach uh, more accurately, is something which uh, is both deeply frustrating and probably counterproductive to the securing of uh, an outcome which will make much sense uh, uh, either in relative or indeed absolute terms uh, to a, a voting public. The upshot of that then is that in an absence of being clear about what is demanded and in what form it is demanded, uh, the government remains really no clearer about a timeline for this uh, to happen than it did six months ago. If I'd had to make a a guess uh, six months ago, I'd have said, well, they probably want to get it done as quickly as possible. And here I am six months later saying, well, I still think they want to get it done as quickly as possible. All the reasons for having an early vote are still true. All the costs of having a late vote are equally true. The longer this is left to drift, uh, the more opportunity there is for people to come up with uh, effective rebuttals or counterattacks. The later we drift into 2017, uh, the more issues there are with French elections and German elections particularly. And generally, uh, the more you leave these things to uh, lie, the more opportunity there is that something comes along that you hadn't anticipated uh, and that you can't control. That while the stock was high, uh, Cameron might have been able to make a quick push uh, and reach a, a quick conclusion and return to the business that he is particularly interested in uh, and his government of economic reform, of changing uh, the structure of uh, the relationship between the state and society. And yet, we're not there. You know, I, I think maybe three months ago, uh, I would have been happy to have uh, committed myself to saying we were going to be having a vote n- next September. In 2016. But now, in the last couple of weeks, months or so, uh, that deadline seems to have drifted back out again. And then, this morning in the Times, they lead with a story saying that it's going to be June next year. Now, uh, that timeline really is very open. It will depend a lot on how much uh, Cameron is trying to achieve, uh, the form that he wants to achieve it in, And I think also, crucially, the perception that he wants to communicate of fighting tough for securing British interests. That if he turns around, say, next week and says, actually, I've got what I want, here's a package, off we go, let's have a vote uh, before Christmas or, or after Christmas, then everyone might say, well, you don't seem to have done very much and suddenly, you know, here you are giving us a package and uh, that was strange. Uh, So he needs to be seen to uh, uh, be working hard. And if you remember, uh, there were concerns raised during the summer that at some point there would be some kind of confection of a dispute uh, with the French or with the Germans and 
the British would win. I'm doing the air commas uh, in front of the microphone, which I know still doesn't work. Um, and that would be something that would be uh, a way to demonstrate, you know, British resolve and pluck, uh, and uh, would be a launch pad for uh, the formal campaign. Now, there's still no sign of that uh, uh, confected uh, argument, um, but there's also no real sign of the uh, genuine uh, negotiation that needs to be taking place. We can look around and we can see various think tanks and groups and parties come up with proposals and suggestions about what is and isn't possible. But that's not the same as uh, something that is a government document that says these are our objectives and this is what we want. All of this is uh, perhaps uh, more frustrating for me than it is for the general public. Levels of interest in European issues, I think, still remain relatively low. Uh, There hasn't been the mobilisation of a broad public debate. And uh, noises from uh, campaigners on both the Leave and the Remain side uh, are really the ones that have uh, shaped the debate. Think, if you will, about uh, the debate over the past month, whether pace has picked up and uh, campaigns have got going uh, on a more formal basis uh, around the Norwegian option. Now, there's a whole question here about whether the uh, flagging of the Norwegian option is genuinely considered to be something that uh, might be uh, of interest to the UK, or whether it's uh, a straw man who's been set up so that uh, Cameron can say, well, look, there isn't a good alternative outside because uh, uh, it means applying all the rules and having no voice and paying money. And uh, I think this is the the difficulty that uh, as long as we continue to talk about the process, uh, talk about uh, those kinds of questions, uh, we're not really talking about the substance of what European integration really means for the UK. And ultimately, Uh, the renegotiation is not being presented at any point as being something which is about a fundamental reassessment of uh, what it is to be uh, a member and what the UK wants. Uh, The package of ideas that are presented are more about modifications of the system rather than about uh, wholesale uh, reorganisation. Now that's fine, that's the government's prerogative, but it means that... uh, the need to have an understanding of the EU remains as uh, pressing and as important as ever. And that's really why those campaign groups have got going in the past month, that they recognise that this isn't going to be about what David Cameron brings back from Brussels. Uh, It's going to be instead about what uh, people think and feel and understand about European integration in general. And that the the renegotiation uh, outcome is, if you like, the gloss on that. So likely, not many people, or relatively few people, are going to be moved in their position by uh, what comes out of that uh, renegotiation. What's more important is that at the point that the renegotiation is closed, you'll start to see more of the kinds of uh, strong campaigning, whether that's from David Cameron... Uh, or indeed from Jeremy Corbyn, who's also playing a rather cautious kind of game. 
And some of the evidence that we've seen uh, over recent weeks suggests that once there is a, a stronger steer from party leaders, uh, particularly Jeremy Corbyn, it has to be said, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, David Cameron, um, and to an even lesser extent, uh, Nigel Farage, their voices will matter. And if we assume that actually uh, the debate is probably more finely balanced in terms of how people might vote uh, than we might uh, first imagine, it makes a difference. But the, the side effect of the renegotiation and referendum approach is that during the renegotiation process, it's hard for the government to come out and say unequivocally that it supports membership. Because it's saying now that it thinks membership is generally a good thing, subject to securing some things which it feels are important. Okay, it can't tell us what those things are precisely. It can't tell us uh, which of those things would need to be satisfied in the package for a uh, membership vote to remain to, to be supported as well. But aside from that, uh, you know, it's, it's all going great guns. So all of these things need to be sort of in the round. It's easy to focus down on these local issues uh, that are floating around, that come in and out of focus. And we need to step back once in a while to be thinking about the bigger picture. Now, unfortunately, I'm thinking probably I'll be able to do this uh, podcast in six months' time when we have our first birthday party. Who knows, I might buy myself a cake. Uh, and we can then think, well, you know, what's changed? The likely perspective for the next six months hopefully is quite different from the, the previous. First of all, there has to be some kind of uh, coming together of uh, the different parties to actually agree some substance to the renegotiation that until that happens, this uh, stepping around the issue, uh, tiptoeing around it, uh, is largely uh, pointless and it's effectively counterproductive, that it looks like indecision, uh, which is, of course, uh, what it is. So the next six months are going to be important because the UK is going to have to come up, or the British government is going to have to come up with something more precise, something more detailed about what it wants. It's going to have to enter into some more formalised discussions rather than five-minute chats on the periphery of European councils with its European partners about what is and isn't acceptable, the form in which those things might appear. And from that, the base is built then for moving into a campaigning uh, phase of the referendum. At some point also there needs to be a decision, uh, hopefully within the next six months, about when a referendum is likely. That, I think, is still a way off. Uh, there's a lot of uh, seeing which way the wind blows uh, in this matter. But, uh, yeah, to, to wait a year to decide quite when to hold a referendum is a long time. So I would think that within six months... Uh, we will have that. I'll probably regret that uh, when I listen back to this uh, when I'm doing this uh, next time round. So, some big issues there to think about. To wrap this up, I'd just like to say thank you to all of you who have listened to these podcasts over the past six months, and hopefully we'll continue to do that in the coming six months. 
uh, I've been really uh, impressed and reassured by the engagement uh, and response that I've got from people. I'm always happy to try and answer questions that people have got, even if they are at the very limits of what I know about, uh, in the case of football, what I care about. But again, the more that we try and tackle these kind of questions, deal with the underlying issues, uh, the more we might have an informed debate. And so I'd just like to uh, leave you with a slight paradox. In my travels and talking with people, I've had several people who say that my voice is nice and soothing and it helps them to drift off at night. Worryingly, I also have people who say that they like listening to me first thing in the morning whilst they drive into work. Now, uh, for both those groups, it's quite tempting to go boo very loudly, but uh, I worry about my liability issues should someone be having a car accident. So wherever you're listening uh, to me uh, and to these podcasts, uh, thank you for taking the time. And uh, we've got at least another six months of this. And uh, knowing how these things kind of go, we might have another six months after that and after that. Happy listening.